if you are ready to take the hard road. The road less travelled. The path in life where the journey is more important than the destination. Then you are in the right place. Prepare to live with vigour. This is the Adventurous Gentleman Podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Today we have a throwback episode. The one and only Big Sexy, Phil Mendoza. Some of you know him as Philly Vanilli. If you're from the west side of Philadelphia, it is the one and only original co-host of the Natural Born Hunter Show, Phil Mendoza. Phil, I am so happy to have you on here today because finally we can spend hours talking and other people will get to hear it. Hey man, you know it's 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 been a while that we've been on the phone back and forth talking about when we're going to put another show together. So I, I'll take responsibility for for that. I mean, it's been uh, it's been hectic, but it's been busy and good, man. How have you it, been? I've been good. I have been really enjoying watching the progress you've mm-hmm. taken with your shop and with the alpha bow hunting. You know, it was a little bittersweet because it meant. You did not have time to podcast any longer, but the things you are doing seem to be really cool and great for the bow hunting community and archery as a whole. So let's let's dive right into that, man. What was this season like? What did you do, and how did things improve? Well, I, you know, we, we I mentioned briefly a little bit the beginning of the year. Um, we really made a big push with our online workshops and and in house workshops and courses and that kind of stuff, and just getting back to. I don't want to say the fundamentals, but focusing on <clears throat> the, the side of, of bow hunting that no, not a lot of people want to address and think about. And one of my biggest kind of, not want to say sales pitches, but my just biggest comment with some of the local seminars I did and even some of the online stuff was, and you can go to anywhere, you can buy a bow from your buddy, you can buy a bow, you can get a hand-me-down from your dad or your uncle, you can go to a pro shop like ours, you can go to a box store like Cabela's or Bass Pro. You get set up, you know, that the level of expertise that sets you up, it varies a little bit. But regardless, you can get set up, get your equipment, you can be out the door in half an hour, right? What about all the basics, all the fundamentals from the shootings, the, your shot sequence, your understanding shot execution, making sure that you're understanding the, the progression of, of aiming through, you know, through your aiming portion of the system. So, so many things get overlooked. So many things are not very well understood. And I just wanted to get back to that. And in addition to that, we built on that and we created a, um, what we were just calling a, the Alpha Bow Hunting Way All Day Workshop to where we took somebody, showed them how to determine their effective range, measured their equipment, measured their effectiveness, not only at point blank through the chronograph, but, but down range to see how your energy carried. And then we took it even further than that and we um, built kind of a system, a structure to understand if a shot scenario was a green light or a red light shot scenario based off of your specific input, right? You, you, you're shooting, your equipment, and and putting it all together. So that's, that, that's kind of how the year started. Now, do you see a lot of new hunters at this course, or are you seeing a lot of guys who are trying to, maybe they've been in it for a few years getting tuned up, or are you seeing guys who are veterans? So we had a good mix. I would say that um, the people that had like zero to three years experience probably compiled, oh, I would say 50 to 60% of the, 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 the 
the shooters, the, the bow hunters that came into the class. And then the people that were kind of in that, you know, two to eight, two to five, two to eight year time frame where they've done it a little bit. They maybe didn't take it so seriously. Maybe they didn't have the right direction as their understanding. Um, we, I would say that probably compiled the next 20 ish, uh, to 30%. I had, I think I had one, I had one class where I had three or four very experienced bow hunters, maybe some with more years of a bow hunting experience than me and a handful of them with at least a, you know, one or two guys in there that were very experienced. The, 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 the people like you and me that are intrigued, let's just say you grew up doing something and there's something new, there's some new philosophy or new coaching structure, and you're like, yeah, maybe that's stuff that I, I've learned my perspective on, but, but I want to hear somebody else's perspective, and maybe I can take something from it, you know? So there's there was a good mix. Um, I had... I had great feedback, um, you know, as the courses went on, they evolved a little bit just because knowing this is all about catering to the person's needs and teaching them how to get, create a playbook, create a baseline as to where you're at, accuracy, energy, and understanding, um, again, shot scenarios, and then progress to that and then build on it and build on it. So that way now come hunting season, which we're I was telling you, next Wednesday, this coming Wednesday is opening for for pronghorn in Colorado. And then a week and a half after that, we get right into the, the deer and elk season um, for for the general archery season. So just getting to that point now to where when you walk into the field, you're not hesitant or nervous to say, you know, that 47-yard shot that's quartering way downhill with that animal slightly alert and aware, is that a shot I should take? Or, you know, that, that shot that's 15 yards frontal or whatever the case is, right? We, we went over tons of scenarios. We, we broke it down into clusters of, of three, made it real inter- easy to understand. And like I said, just helping people compile a, a little mental playbook so that way they can, if, if one of three questions that they have to answer themselves in a scenario brings them back to a place of familiarity where they're like, oh, yeah, I got this. I know where, I know where I'm at. I need to try to draw when I can and shoot. So or, in essence, oh, oh. you're creating a personalized <clears throat> bow hunting flow chart for them. Correct. 100%. That says if if angle shot proceed accordingly. If yeah. you know tree stand hunters applies to them. If you know ground blind whatever level shot proceed this way to reach them from the start of now. How how I guess where would be the starting point? Where are you starting them at in this progress? Where does the flow chart begin? So, the workshops begin with when you the, the way our workshops begin when you come in we shoot your both of the chronograph we check your specs um, we're building you an energy an, uh, sight tapes energy chart short short conversion sight tape basically kind of what Archer's Advantage puts together in addition to that we print you a cut chart and so all that the first 15 or so minutes of the class we're just getting the information based off your specific bow and arrow combination setup. Now, do you resize people if you see them improperly sized for their bow? Do you change draw length, that stuff, or do you have to come in first? No, you, you, we really ask the shooters to come in kind of sighted in as best as they can be and, and kind of dialed in. So if we see – there was a handful of shooters we saw throughout the class because the class had a lot of um, applicant where we were, we were in the classroom and we were outside on the range doing testing. We were in the classroom. So through that process, there was definitely a handful of shooters at the end of class that said, look, you, you know, we're glad you came through the class to understand this, but we can tell you 
on specifically a setup issue, and it could be X, Y, Z, you can probably improve on your accuracy uh, in this category or whatever the case was, or your energy based off of this, drawing too long, too short, um, arrows weak on the spine, whatever the case was, we were able to look at their setup specifically and give them some pointers. And some of the people, we stayed after the work. I mean, the workshop was a, a 9 to like 4.30 workshop. It was pretty much an all-day workshop. And we were there till 6, 6.30 in some cases, helping people tweak their bows afterwards just to, to get them right. And it, it sounds like it's pretty intense workshop. There's not <clears throat> a lot of standing around. No. So it's it's go. I mean, we, we had um, – we had a, our break for lunch on one of the classes – um, to to, to kind of I guess take a step back. This this philosophy and this playbook, this kind of flow chart, fits right in the middle of our what we call we created like an alpha pyramid is what we called it a coaching structure. I like the building that. blocks. The foundation was your your basic understanding of equipment, very elementary, very, very much a new bow hunter. Well, what's a sight? How does it move? How does it adjust? What's second and third axis? Okay, what's a quiver? Is a two piece? Is a one piece? This is how they mount. So I did an online course that basically walks you through the beginning, uh, the tutorial of it, and then I do a little video clipping how they get installed and how they get adjusted. So that's, and then at the end of that first course, I go through a bow hunter shot sequence for for a, a shooting sequence. It's not the same as USA Archery, it's very similar. It's, there's there's some differences that I felt needed to be changed for a bow hunting application. But you'll have your kind of basis of stance, target, target acquisition, follow yep. through, Looking through the to the target, you know, there's the, there's so many fundamentals to archery that you need. You can't take yeah. so many out, right? No, hundred percent. And and what I really focused on, I'll tell that was where I felt a lot of people um, falter is when you that stand when you get to that draw and anchor uh, step in a shot sequence. Most bow hunters, what do they do? They draw an anchor and their fingers up here, ready to smash a trigger, right? Index field you, you actually have you actually people can't see this at home, but there's something when you pull, if you can find the video on YouTube, when Phil draws his hand to his anchor point, even if you notice your knuckle position compared to probably what eighty to ninety percent of people's knuckle position is when you see the photos on Instagram, yours is level, right? So everything will align with the pulling back of your right. you know your lat your back system whereas what do you see 90 percent of people doing well you, you'll see hand rotation but the other thing i, I would even say that that's just to, a subtle that's just that, a little you know that's that's correct but i would say that acquiring the release right in an index finger release once you get drawn back to anchor if your release is set so light that you can't rest your finger on the trigger and continue with your sequence it's too light in a, in a tension style release right once you draw your bow back and you anchor, you need to take your finger off the safety right there. And then you continue with the progression of secondary reference, which could be a string on your nose or a kisser button. And then you, you address the peep site, you know, housing, level, acquire the pins, and then, you know, your desired target position, the t pin position. on So it, I break all that down in the, in the video courses and then follow, uh, uh, execute and follow through. Now, in, the, uh, in the, one of the workshops that we did, there was people that were really different levels of shooters, right? And and what I did is, in as we were talking about things, I'm alluding to certain things in the shots. And then at lunchtime, people were like, 
I still have more questions about yeah, the shot sequence. You do. Get fed with a garden hose. <laughs> yeah. So so during lunch, I didn't even eat lunch one day. I, I sat there for 30 minutes and I went through that shot shot sequence progression. And and people are eating their lunch in, in our we got our seminar area up there and, and I'm I'm giving them I'm kind of backtracking a little bit, but trying to give them a better full perspective of it. And then moving forward, like I said, once once you start with your own bow and your own arrows, we track we use kinetic energy because it's quantifiable to a chart that Easton's created years ago that says uh, large size game, medium size game, small game, recommended kinetic energy. I've never found a momentum chart or any kind of uh, delineation that says you need you know, X amount of slugs for large size game momentum or, or whatever for mid size. I've never seen that. Um, in, in kinetic energy, Easton put that out a long time ago. So we referenced that chart. We also addressed that momentum is super important. If you have multiple multiple tools of measurement, you need to be, you need to be considering all of them, but we specifically start with kinetic energy. And then we say, we are able to track your kinetic energy. We, we give you a reading at point blank, 20 yards, 30 yards, 40 yards, all the way out to a hundred per se. And then the next progress, the next step is we're identifying the 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 vital size for animals. We get into the approved vital size for elk, mule deer, pronghorn, based off of actual um, known data from body size, and then we go out and we cite you. We we test you. We're citing in, and then we come back in and we put them together. We say, okay, well your your accuracy is is good out to sixty, but your kinetic energy peters off for a large size game at forty yards. So what do we do here? Now we're, we're directly showing somebody, if you want to be able to improve, you need to be able to look at your kinetic energy and your setup and see how you can build that back up to get those to match, you know, and then to, because to have true, um, to have a true effective range, your energy and your accuracy need to be on the same playing field as opposed to, you know, one being higher than the other. So that was kind of where the class starts. Then we get into um, style of hunting, in the case where, you know, some people, youth, because we had a couple teenagers come in. We had a lot of women go through the class. And in, in that situation, I don't want to tell people you shouldn't hunt. Your energy is too low. Your accuracy isn't good enough. You shouldn't hunt. So on the flip side, I say, okay, you want to hunt elk, and your kinetic energy and your accuracy are only really good out to 30 yards. Maybe your accuracy is good out to 40 or 50, but your energy is really, really only good out to, to 30 yards. Put yourself into more of a controlled situation. Hunt from a tree stand. Hunt from a ground blind. Hunt from a bush blind or, or an ambush spot, right, to where you can uh, – you get a, a wallow on an elk, for example, to where you can control more of the um, the distance that you're going to see in a shot scenario. Mm -hmm. So all these things where people are saying, I'm going to go elk hunting, and I'm just going to load up my pack, and I'm going to start hiking the woods and have zero um, plan or idea what they're doing. Well, I'm going to bring an elk call, and maybe I can call them in, or maybe I can spot. Well, if you know your accuracy and your energy are are, are on the lower side, you need to have done some preseason scouting, maybe trail cameras, maybe hunt with somebody who who can take you, and and maybe your options are. Well, I, I know there's this wall that gets used some. I'm going to go set up a, a brush blind at 25 yards, and I'm going to sit there, because even though that's not potentially as exciting as calling a bull in or a cow in. That's going to give me the most – that's going to be the highest level or highest 
success rate is for a situation in more of a controlled situation like that. Or go with somebody that knows to call well, but try to set up the calling situation to where you can get that, hopefully that animal to cross in front of them at 15 to 25, 30 yards. So just considering those things ahead of time. And, and then from there, we break it down even further, man. We get into animal behavior. Um, we get into uh, <clears throat> yardage judging for bow hunters. Um, so that class, it was it was jam-packed, like you said, almost like they're feeding, they're drinking from a water hose. But the good thing is the online course that somewhat mirrors that coaching structure, if they came through the workshop, I gave them the online course as a reference. In addition to that, I recorded most of the seminars, and I would take out the, the clips that were sometimes I know that got not off track but added to what the online course was, and I loaded those. So they have all – I mean there's like, I don't know, four and a half hours of video mm -hmm. reference from – for that course because of the workshops mainly. I mean, there's there's 30-minute clips in there to where we talked about something that people can go back and reference anytime. And if people are interested, where do, where do they find this course? What's it cost them? It's, it's uh, Alpha Bow Hunting. Is, everything's on alphabowhunting.com. Um, there is a – so that course, the all-day the all workshop we did was $150 for the workshop. And the online course, we were selling it for $100. The thing is, is because there's so much more, there's the, the stuff before it, there's the, the progression to the online course, which gets into more situational bow hunting is what we called it. Um, I've done like a whole pyramid, the, the package if they wanted to get the whole pyramid from, um, and that all the courses online that I have right now, I think it's about 11 hours worth of content. And if they want to go, if they want to go, uh, purchase the entire pyramid coaching structure as it stands today because that we keep adding videos to that so it's going to continue to evolve and grow and it's actually going to it's going to experience a little bit of a facelift um come november because some of the videos that i did originally six months ago after doing multiple workshops working with more students and i'm going to take some of those videos and i'm going to try to shorten them and just kind of refine them a little bit mm -hmm. so some of those videos are going to get refined um here soon but the, the, i think the whole pyramid is like 150 or 170 70 bucks for everything and that's from step one to hopefully giving you a playbook for in the field and our on our final course um there's even a bow tuning kind of basics online course in there basic information and it was more of just recording from seminar workshop stuff we did um but yeah, I mean that, that's that that's what really kept me busy from January through first of Alpha the the tournament se season, which started in May, and we actually did a workshop and a couple workshops in May. But so once the workshop started, we kind of changed changed gears and we started running the tournament series again, and um, added a couple events a couple venues this year. Um, our finals was our biggest event to date, and the format of the finals changed slightly, which was kind of a, a precursor to what we're going to see next year with how the how the the format's going to be. Um, and it seemed like people loved it, so I'm excited, man. We've got we've gotten quite a few invites from from other um, locations, venues to come play, to come run our event there. So the question now just becomes. How many do we do, and are we willing to, to you know, where are we willing to travel and, and run these events at?
So tell me a little bit about the events and uh, what's changed. What's well, going to be thing, added? You, you came to the finals last year, right? Yep. And the thing that sets the Alpha Bow Hunting Challenge apart from other bow hunting style games, whatever events, is our head to head course. Is is the ability to put two shooters together, and and it doesn't matter what they've what level they are, what 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 equipment there are. Everybody's just matched based off of your age, and the course is almost designed to reg, self-regulate or handicap what's going on. So whether you have a movable scope or a long stabilizer, I don't care. You want to move, you know, you want to have an elevated heart rate with a long stabilizer and a and a, and a four or six power lens. Do your thing because I know that that little bit element of uh, elevated heart rate is going to equalize things. So what we did this year, as opposed to last year, was last year we had a 25 target qualifying round, and that that seeded you for the bracket, and that determined whether you're in the the elite bracket, the alpha bracket, or the standard open bracket. What I did this year was I changed qualifying to include two rounds on the head-to-head course and a 10 target 3d round and then we 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 scored the 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 10 target 3d round based off of time so now you had three time scores that we compiled and the person with the lowest adjusted time was in the number one seat and then the following of the next and the next and the next we wanted a true representation of the people that are doing well on the head-to-head rounds to be the people that are in the elite bracket and then have higher seating in the bracket so and that wasn't that wasn't represented very well in the past just because we were using a 3D round for for seating. Mm-hmm. So we're still using 3D to some extent, but we're not doing um, – but, but we're doing – we're trying to incorporate more of the head-to-head as that's what really, like I said, it's kind of just – Draws them in. Yeah. So, you know, everybody had two rounds on the head-to-head course plus the 3D, but from there – because of the numbers and the turnout, we had a cutoff. So not everybody moved forward into Sunday for day two. Um, it was about the top, uh, I'd say, 60 to 65% of the shooters moved forward in, um, in their respective brackets to, to compete for the shootout for the big prizes. Shout out to my man, Kenny. Made it out there for his second year. Yeah, Kenny. Kenny did good, man. He didn't have as good of a day one, but he just made the cut, and he was able to – um, still make it in the, the the men's masters open bracket, the standard bracket, and and come home with the win on that. I mean, he does good, man. He shoots well under pressure, and uh, yeah, he just he he made it happen on day two for sure. Which I think is pretty great that you know you could you can just qualify and then claw your way back up to the top. Yeah, no, he um, he proved it. You know, it's just it's 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 different because, like I said, it. Whether you're the, the, you know, many years of experienced competitive or a great hunter and you've got a little bit of a newbie and all that matters is that two and a half, three minutes with five targets each, it matters what happens on those five targets who pushes forward. Not I don't sure. care how, I don't care how many Pope and Young animals you've killed or how many, you know, national events you've won or attended. If you can't make it happen in that two and a half minutes against the next person, against the person you're shooting against. So that added element of pressure, um, it just changes it up, man. It's fun to watch. And what what was your favorite part of the whole whole competition? You know, I, 
I, I, I got to say it's the people because there's people that, that came to three of three of our events, some two, some three, and we had five events this year. And there's some of the people that never came out of the, the bottom third of qualifying. They may have gotten knocked out the first round. Um, and you know what? They were there, and they were they were got their lawn chair. When when people were up there, they're cheering them on. The conversations in between rounds, the jokes, and the the I mean the grab ass and the you know the the, the cutting it up. It's it's second to none because I, I tell you that that part of it is what you miss sometimes at so many other events. You go to a 3D shoot and you got your three or four buddies or whoever you're in the group with, you may have a great great day with, right? But now magnify that by 20 or 40 because now you've got everybody there. Everybody's congregating in the same area. Everybody's hanging. And, and yeah, there's two people going at a time to shoot on the, on the head-to-head course, but everybody's there engaged. They're watching. It's exciting. It's short. And like I said, and they're just they're cutting it up, and, and now you got to interact with so many more people. So that part of it's probably um, my favorite because I I have not I've chosen not to compete, and I I just I'm so I'm such a control freak with anything that I do that I need to make sure that things are done the way I want them to happen. But this year, um, a lot of things evolved. You know, guys like Trevin and his crew that came in and and recorded and, and did the live feed for us on the Facebook live feed. Trevin, you know, took the emceeing p- position, I would say, to another level in many he respects. Brings, he brings oh, yeah. Me. And people love it. You know, he's j- joking around, having a good time. You know, guys like like Braden, Braden, who's been working with me full time this year since January, um, he was the other, I mean, because Trevin competed some. Braden got on the mic. Braden was running the 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 stuff sometimes and the I mean I I for many for for so long I was like I need to be there because I need to make sure I do it these guys can do as good of a job or better than me in many respects so I think that the team that we've compiled to do this we it, it's like we can we can finish each other's sentences now we can finish if somebody has to to leave because whatever somebody can step right in no questions asked they know what to do. And it, and it runs smoothly. I mean, we ran on Saturday. We ran, I think we ran, I was 135 or 140 heats on the head-to-head course. Whoa. So how many people? We, it was 122 competitors. But we finished the youth um, head-to-head, so we had a couple extra heats in the afternoon. I mean, we went from 9.15 in the morning till 7.30 at night um, Saturday to get to where we needed to get for Sunday to be for our, our brackets to work and our live feed to happen at one thirty two o'clock. And, and, and we got it done. I mean, we, we know how many heats we can run in an hour and we know when we're falling off schedule. So, and Juan, the DJ, he's, he's sitting back there and he's like, you know, you, you guys need to pick it up or you guys are doing good. You're here's where we're at. So he's almost like the, the organizer in many respects to, to what we're, we're doing out when we're running the, the course, because if we start BSing a little bit too much or having too much fun with certain things, which can happen, he, he'll give us the, like, he'll move the finger around a circle. Like you need to pick it up, you know, you get five more songs. And I'm out right. of <laughs> so it's a, it's a good team, man. I mean, the, the, like I said, the team that, that we put together. So pro, uh, projecting into the future with, with growth, if hopefully we experience more growth, 
Uh, we've already kind of got it nailed down to where we we can handle more shooters. We know what the format will have to do to handle more shooters. Continuing the head-to-head as a as a very huge element into the game, um, qualifying and the shoot-off, and uh, just looking forward to, uh, to to the growth because every every everything's a challenge. Honestly, when when pre-registration was done, and I'm thinking about, it, I was like, yeah, we'll have we'll have 90 to 100 shooters, you know. And I'm kind of tracking what I needed to do based off of 100 shooters. Well, pre-registration took an extra 15 or so minutes longer than I thought. And I go and I look at the numbers. I was like, holy crap, we're at 122 competitors right now. <laughs> so I had to make a uh, – we just had to get on it quick, you know. And, and, I, and I told everybody, I said, we're, we're over the numbers we projected to finish at a certain time. I said, so we're going to be here a little bit late Saturday, late, late, later than I thought. But um, we got it. We just need to stay on point. And, and everybody did their job. And, um, I mean, I don't know, man. Like I said, I don't may, – maybe I, maybe nobody wants to tell me, hey, a-hole, you guys did a crappy job with this. <laughs> but I have, I've yet to hear it, so I, I think we're doing okay. Uh, so next year, uh, ex- expansion. Let's talk expansion. What are you changing? Will we, will we see you cross the Mississippi? Well – um, you know, we've gotten the, the open invitation from Total Archery Challenge to go to all our venues next year. I don't know that we're going to be able to do that yet. We've got some logistics to work out, and I don't know that we're capable of doing going from five events to potentially nine events because we'd still have to run a qualifier, at least one qualifier in Denver, plus the finals would be back in Denver. So from a time perspective, I don't know. i got to get with Sean so we can, we can iron that out. I've gotten um, – invitations from brian austin in, in wisconsin and that's something that we've already sent a proposal into their club with to see if, if that venue is going to work for for an event there um there's a lot on the table and the next two months is actually going to kind of what's going to paint the picture paint the picture for 2019 um you know you yeah. could just do i know of one totally archery total archery challenge that if you made it to it'd make me super happy yeah no that's one that you know See, with, with the Total Archery Challenge, one of the, the difficulties is because it's a mountain venue, you know, if you will, mm-hmm. the locations that that we would be able to fit in on maybe not necessarily are are the best for, for our game. You know what I mean? Right. You're more and, of a flatland, actually, which is kind of ironic. Well, no, we, <laughs> we ran South Dakota and Utah this year, and they were on the hillside, and, and every, we made it work. We had to modify the course a little bit. But it worked great. Everybody loved it. The, the thing that I'm more looking at is to run our weekend like like we would like to run it with some 3D, with the head-to-heads, with the, the mix of everything between, we almost need a little bit more room than I think Total Archery Challenge is willing to give us. And obviously that's their, that's their game. That's their weekend. So us being an invited guest, those are some of the things that we need to kind of iron out. But Sean's been great to work with, a total archery challenge, super nice guy. They've got, um, I mean, they, they've got the, the best thing going really with, with uh, for the masses for Western style, you know, mm-hmm. bow hunting shoots. I, would, I don't want to say Western style, but the mountain, the mountain ranges, you know, you get into some of these extreme courses. And I've never been to Pennsylvania. I hear it's a great venue for it. It is a total archery challenge. Yeah. They've nailed it. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we talked about it because 
obviously as he put the invitation out to me to to come out we start talking about travel and logistics and what are the what would we need to do to make it happen so we're kind of <clears throat> i think we're probably i don't know between three weeks and a month away from sitting down with sean and and determining um what we have the capacity to do what he's willing to give and what what's going to transpire from that because we had a good time i mean the crowd that, that comes out to those those events is is great on our side i think that if if he promotes us and he he wants to inc- incorporate us as part of his event from day one when he puts out his schedule then i think it could be huge for us but at the same time i you know I me mean? i don't I, i'm hesitant I'm, I'm a risk taker, but at the same time, if if I say I'm going to do something, I need to be able to do it. And if I bite off more than I can chew and I start to not deliver to the to my customers, <clears throat> that's the biggest failure I can have. And I would sooner grow slower and not make that big of a commitment, specifically in these kind of events, because there's so many moving parts that... I want. I need to make sure that I'm as close to certain as I can be before I make a decision with all the menus. Mm-hmm. So, but it's That's fun, man. It's exciting. Yeah. I. So you're an entrepreneur. You got a lot going on: the bow shop, your construction job, all the online stuff. Do you have a set routine for your training and your practice and getting your reps in? What does your day look like? So the last. What's today? Today's August 11th. Um, I would say the last three weeks has kind of evolved. It's changed a little bit because, yes, leading up to to that, I'll, I'm going to fo- more focus on the last three weeks because the last month before the season, I, I, I work out all year. I've been healthy for the last year and a half, which is it's been a little bit of a change because when, when I was going hard doing the train to hunt preparation, all that, I was almost breaking myself down a little bit more than I should have. So the last year and a half, I've change my philosophy to get in good workouts, but don't kill myself every workout. I'll do some some high intensity stuff sporadically. Um, but so going back to, I, I'm usually getting up in the morning during the week, these last three weeks at between 5.30 and six o'clock. And one day I'm outside shooting my bow for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And then I get ready for work, shower up, go to work. The next day, I'll get up and I'll shoot my bow for about 15 minutes and then I'll work out for about an hour. And then I get ready. So I'm basically right now I'm working out every other day. And yeah. and that's and there's yeah, so I don't have like a oh I'm taking Saturday Sunday off. No, if it's if my workout day falls on Saturday, I work out on Saturday. If it falls on Sunday, I work out on Sunday. So but I've been shooting my bow every day. And and that's something that I I really knew I needed to get back to. I, Back in the day, it was there was not a day that went by that I didn't shoot at least 30, 40 arrows. And um, I've got a great high country mule deer tag this year. I drew Kansas this year. I have potentially four buck tags this year, which is not normal for a Western bow hunter. Right? No. So, and, and don't get me wrong, two of them are whitetail tags, but um, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I've been loving the whitetail deal. So, uh, been really focusing on my equipment, getting it dialed in, my my bow shooting as good as any hunting bows shot for me at this point, getting ready for the season. So that's kind of what it looks like, man. And then after that, I go to work for the, with the, the demo company. Um, 
And then at somewhere between three and five o'clock, I find myself at the archery shop helping out, just helping get customers ready. Last night we, we cranked out, I don't know, 15, 17 bows, um, between, you know, five and nine, just getting them tuned up and between the crew there. So we, we were busy, you know, we're, we're moving, we're trying to turn bows around as quickly as we can. The problem is it's not a quick process. It's well, no, it, we, we really order in most of our strings custom, you know, depending on where people want to get them for it's, it's too hard to stock string and cables for every bow model out there. Um, so we, we order and we get them in four or so days, five days, and we try to turn them out, turn them around within 48 hours once the strings come in. And so that, that's, that's possesses a challenge because then you've got all the customers that come in at the counter that need help. So we've been busy, but we've, we've tried to stay on top as best we can and, and just encourage, encourage bow hunters to try to get ready as soon as they can <laughs> early, early in the season because there was, there was an older gentleman that walked in the shop a couple of days ago and he says, yeah, I need to get a new string on my bow. And we looked at him and he says, yeah, you do need to get a new string on your bow. He said, okay, well, do you have one? I said, no, we, you know, and it was one of my other employees. We, we order our string and cables in. So you can get the color you want. We make sure we get the right specs, and you're getting current new, new, a new build, not something that sat on the shelf for nine months. And he says, "Okay, well, how long does it take?" I said, "Well, we'll have it turned around to uh, turn around to you in seven to eight days." And he looks at us. He goes, "You realize the season's antelope season's next week." And I wanted to kind of turn back around to him and say, "Do you realize the antelopes in seven or eight days? How come you're waiting till now to get your bow worked on?" You know, and you know, it's the same guy that doesn't pull his bow out up until that time for the season. And they think that there's nothing wrong with that. So it's tough, man. That, that part of the business always has frustrated me, but I think we've done a good job with the workshops and the preparing and, and hollering at people and, Hey, make sure you're getting it ready. And, um, you know, broadhead tuning nights and all kinds. So we've just been trying to do what we can. We're not perfect, but we've trying to think outside the box as much as we can to get people ready because the better, the more successful they are, the better it looks on us as well. So, it's it's been fun. And getting getting ready for the season yourself. What kind of equipment are you going to run this season? What what's the arrow setup look like? Oh, uh, you're running. So I'm running a, a Hoyt RX1 Ultra. It's about 77 pounds, and I have a carbon ejection uh, 280 spine arrow. I have right now. I'm I'm prepared. Every, I've been dialing everything in with a 125 grain iron wheel broadhead. That's a it's a super sweet head. Uh, I've got an, an extra 40 grains of of insert weight in there. So I, about 511 grains is what those errors are finishing out at. At most about 282 feet per second or so with that setup. So it's Pretty quick. It's quick and it's it's. I mean, for a 500 plus grain arrow, it's. Um, it's a stout setup, man. But I tell you what, it's the thing that a lot of bow hunters, they get fed the, oh, you need a high let off bow. You need to be able to draw and hold your bow back forever. Um, th this bow, the reason I'm shooting higher weight is to get more let off or to get the higher let off. So when I'm at back at full draw, I just it's steadier for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the bows that have the ability to just let off, um, like some of the binary cams in the stop, this this bow, it's it's been a very good. I don't want to say almost kind of a throwback feel as well to how some of my target bows used to hold for me, just because of that, that higher let off weight. 
And so at distance, man, I tell you what, my, my groups between 60 and 90 yards don't change very much in size just because the pin hold is it's it's tight it's small and it's tight and it's a forget it's been a forgiving bow the pin hold becomes so important to when you're stretching it out and that's one thing so i started this uh little routine every morning where i've decided i'm going to shoot every day and i am gonna work my shotgun every day because i just mm -hmm. enjoy the shotgun game and so i've done doing just 10 blind bales 10 blind bales every day and the most you would think like oh i'd really pick up on the release because i've switched to the thumb and this is how i've decided to really make my transition to thumb is all the way up until september all i'm going to be doing is blind bailing i might go yeah. shoot a few courses for fun but other than that i'm shooting with my eyes closed at you know five maybe 10 yards sure. and the thing i have noticed the most i will do is i will let that left hand that my bow hand just drift slightly to the left when i go through the polling sequence and so now I got to focus on keeping that really shoulder locked in, just that slight push forward, you know what I mean, to break mm -hmm. the shot. And now I, can, I open my eyes and, you know, not on purpose. I've, I can group arrows <laughs> without any eyes open if I really wanted to. I try not to, to not break them. Sure. But, you know, if you keep aiming at that same spot and feeling that shot and, you know, you do the math. If I get 300 days a year, so I won't make it every day. 300 days a year, 10 arrows a day, that's 3,000 arrows. Oh, for sure. That's a and, lot of arrows. And, and, and 10 arrows at, is, is not, it doesn't take a lot of time, right? 15 minutes. Yeah. It, it, I would even argue that you probably get, get it. If you wanted to get it done quicker than that, you could. Oh, I'm talking about walking to get the bow, walking oh, the bow up, walking my bow. For sure. That's, that's what's killing my, if I had the bow hanging there, I'd be in five minutes. <laughs> the longest part's getting it out of the target where it hasn't been shot a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and that's, that's the thing It's and I, I try to incorporate, like when I shoot myself, when I'm practicing, I try the first five to seven arrows that I shoot, I try to shoot them up close in a similar fashion to where I'm not aiming, right? I'm, I'm in a form of blank, blank blind bailing to where I just draw back, I get the pin on the target and I really just focus on the execution. Boom! Get them. Get your your body in in sync and in rhythm and the alignment. Make sure everything's good, you know. And then after those five or seven shots, then I'll take a couple shots up at, up close, 10, 15 yards, and I'll make sure that it's like I'm gonna bury my pin right on that spot, and I want that arrow to be right there. And take those first few shots to build the confidence, get your 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 shot routine and everything in 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 sync sync. And like I said, start off with a high percentage situation. So many people want to go out to 70 or 80 yards because that's what their maximum effective range is going to be. And they want to shoot their first arrow at that distance. And there's a time and place for that. Mm -hmm. I just think that if your form sucks and, and your, your shot execution sucks, Don't you're going to have 60. <laughs> well, no, but let's just say that they've gotten to the point where they've They've worked their, you know, practice and they're shooting at 60 or 70, call it eight, whatever the distance is. If your form sucks and you don't have a good, strong understanding of what your shot execution, everything should feel like, one day you might be in the spot. The next day you might be 10 or 12 inches off. The next day you might be four inches off. The next day you might be another foot off. So because you're not, um, you haven't put in the time to understand that part of it. It's, it's that whole getting back to the basics thing. And one of the things I say is everybody wants to go on autopilot. Right. They want they want to. Oh, I practice all the time. So I'm just going to go on autopilot in that moment of truth. Well, if if your autopilot sucks, 
your results are going to suck, you know. And and that's where you need to have that good foundation and that good understanding of this step in my shot sequence happens and I need to check that box off completely before this step happens and then I need to check that box off completely before that step happens because in the field it always happens. You're going to get through your shot sequence and you might not be thinking about it, but that that deer or that elk's going to be walking through the trees and all of a sudden they stop and you got a tree block in your vitals. Well, you just now pause in your shot sequence. If you don't know where you're at and you don't have a good strong understanding to progress, okay, now the deer moved, took a couple steps, now it's opening, now I need to continue with my shot sequence and finish the execution. If somebody panics and they say, and then they take their hand off their anchor point, and they're looking around like trying to, you know, where is it going to move? Is it not going to move? And then they come back and they don't have that strong foundation and basis of step one before two, step two before three to complete, then, then they're going to have a harder time executing under pressure. And and that's the thing I may, with blind bailing too, is I like the set it and forget it thing. You know, that's what I call it. Set it and forget it. I set my feet, my feet are set. I yep. set my hand, my hand is set. I set all these anchor points, everything in place. The only thing I'm not really doing is aiming through the, you know, the site at mm-hmm. the target. But I have never felt more confident shooting with this thumb release than I have doing this and doing it every day. Same breath, same everything. Like you say, it is autopilot. They're the same 10 reps every day. Yeah, and, and what the difference between, and, and I, I articulate this in our class, our workshop, the difference between a top 10 percenter and a top 1 percenter is that that top 1 percenter, their, their sequence, their foundation, their, auto, their, their autopilot, their, their, their body of work is so good that they don't – they can seamlessly get through that and they don't have to think about, okay, set your stance. All right. Set your grip. Now, you know, pre-draw, draw it. They don't have to think about that. That is so well ingrained because of the time they've put in to get there. And, and the then, only way to get there is to do that. Exactly. You need to put in the time, you need to put in the work. And then once it comes time for that execution, um, that's just where they've just had so much more practice than, than somebody else potentially. And it was uh, Chris Fry at MDTS training. He does, like, basically more gun, emergency medical awareness classes, knife, that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And when I, he's the one who taught me about the micro training. Is if you're going to just start, like, don't try to get out there, and I definitely did this in the beginning, and get an hour or 100 arrows or some big amount every day. And then all of a sudden when you can't do it, things just fall off the rails. Just get that 15 minutes. Get that 15 minutes a day, and then if you can, sneak in bonus time. But get the minimum. Yeah. No, and for a long time, uh, I, I'm going to say that from I was probably 2014 to 2000, mid, middle of last year, I've, I've had off and on shoulder issues. I've had forearm issues. I've had different things, not to where I couldn't shoot my bow, but I couldn't shoot my bow for a long time, you know. But the, And the thing is, I've always been able to hunt. I've, I've been lucky to be successful. But I've I've never been uh, I've never lost confidence when I head out in the woods because of that small amount of training. It's like you know what I can't shoot my bow for fifty or seventy arrows, but I can shoot fifteen. I'm gonna go get my 15, 20 arrows in. That's right. That's right. You know? And let me ask you this, Phil: Can you get in the maybe we say a minimum amount of reps and a good workout in in half an hour? Yeah, you sure you can. That's my my cardio days right now. Um, I do kind of a modified like circuit workout type deal to where 
I'll usually warm up, and I don't consider my warm up as part of the workout, but but I'll run half a mile to a mile to to warm up usually, and then I'll get into some kind of a circuit that, and and my my cardio sessions. So let's just say a mile, a, a warm up mile aside, twenty five to thirty five minutes, and and I'm done. I, I just there I don't need to kill myself every workout to feel like I got a workout in, you know I just don't. And I feel healthier for for that since I've changed that thought. Because there was times, like I said, where I would I'd be like, man, I need to be able to know that I'm going for an hour, and I need to know that my heart rate's at this for this long, and I'm going to do this. And I would get to a point where like I'm kind of exhausted. I'm kind of felt like I was spent, and then I'd try to do one more activity of something, and then you just feel like, oh, I kind of feel like I tweaked my back there a little bit, or man, my shoulder just you know it's pain it's pain for that. And and that's so. important because now the following sessions will suffer. And I must be right around the same point as you because I'm only working out at max five days a week, but usually it's like four. And I'm probably going above 90% effort, maybe one of those sessions. Yeah, I would would even probably say that I don't know that I, I don't know that I hit 90%. I think I might be go over 80, 80%, you know, once a week. And I try to work out in that 60 to 80% range every time but yeah to to like i was doing a high intensity deal actually yesterday and i was just on my stair stepper to where i tried to redline that freaking thing for 40 seconds at a time and then i'd get off and walk around for a minute and i'd get on for i felt after five rounds that i felt like i was gonna puke you know and that was 10 minutes that was 10 minutes of my workout i do think it is good to do things like that just to train that mental toughness like there is a thing of you need to be able to hold on to the handlebars when shit's yeah. going down. Yeah. So that that's the kind of I agree with you, man. I don't and, and you know the 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 max squats. I mean, I I had stem cells injected in my knees this year. That was the other thing is how they do They're doing great now. Um, I I had gotten to where the cartilage in my right knee, I couldn't I couldn't squat. I couldn't do an air squat to full depth anymore. That's brutal. Yeah, and so finally after. Another hard season of hunting last year. We packed. I mean, we got lucky. We we had a, a great season packing a lot of animals. But I spent probably a week with my knees just swollen after season was over, and and then a week after that where I couldn't even I couldn't even get on the treadmill, thinking you know I need to get back. I couldn't do it. So I said, this is enough. I need to I need to try to see what's going on. And sure enough, I went and got my MRI and deteriorating cartilage, softening of the cartilage, fraying of the cartilage, and pretty much that what was being explained to me is as I squat down, I go under tension. It's just bone. It feels like it's bone on bone because that's, mm. it's, that's what it kind of comes down to. And when I went in to start doing evaluations for <clears throat> stem cells, I had knee surgery 21 years ago on my left knee and they started evaluating both my knees and they say, well, sir, your right knee might be causing you pain, but you're three to five years away from a knee replacement in your left knee. And yeah. And that one, they, they cut out cart 30% of the cartilage when I was 17, and that one, it it caused me a little bit of pain off when I really push it, but it's just I've dealt with it for so long. I, I never just really keep thought pushing about it. it. Yeah. So when he tells me that, he says, yeah, you're, you're the, you're, you, your knee alignment's off, you're, the arthritis in your knee's already, you know, he can show me on a couple of different graphs and the, and the x-rays and different things, and I said, no, let's go ahead and do it on both knees, and I tell you what, man. I had to take it light for about five weeks, four or five weeks, where it was 
no no activity for a couple weeks, then very light activity until I finally got to where I can jog on the treadmill and, you know, elliptical and that kind of stuff. But I went up scouting with Braden a little over a week ago, and it's it's some of the roughest country we've hunted in. And, you know, 55-pound pack for two and a half days and came off the mountain. And we covered quite a few miles because we went into a few basins to scout looking for deer. There was one step on that whole trip to where I – I was stepping up on a rocks embankment and I had put all my weight on my left knee and I kind of felt like it was a little bit sore. That was the only even inkling of pain or, or anything I had on the whole trip. So came off the mountain, no issues with my knees. Um, so I'm, I'm so far all, all signals are good, man. It's been about five months since I've had it done too. So that's awesome. And where did you, where'd you get that done? Here in, in Boulder, there was a, I mean, I did like, I did three actual co- consultations, but then I actually, I did like, I don't know, I, I researched about eight clinics, because there's a bunch of clinics you can get it done here in Colorado, and I researched about eight clinics, and then the, the doctor I ended up going with, when I sat down with him in the consultation, you know, I would say he was probably the best salesman, is, is what it comes down to, because he made me feel comfortable as to what my lifestyle and what I was looking for, and he said the right things. And I'm like, shit, man, whether I give you, you know, 9,000 bucks or I give somebody else 9,000 bucks, you've been, you've got good recommend, you know, good uh, reviews, good recommendations. And, and you made me feel better about what I'm looking for. <laughs> you're I'm, I'm going to go for it. Legs. <laughs> you're, you're the doctor. I'm going to let stick needles in my knees. So it was well, good. I'm glad it sounds like it's working out so good. And, uh. So I know I know we're getting short on time here, but upcoming hunting seasons plans. Let's let's do the rundown. Yeah, so pronghorn starts next week for us. Braden and I are going to go. Or we the the video I put up on on the Alpha Bow Hunting YouTube channel, the mule deer and mortar. We're going back up there um, here in a week and a half. So excited about that. Um, and then after that, I've got elk. For Colorado, I've got Kansas whitetail, and I've got Nebraska. I've got two tags in Nebraska, and one of the properties holds mule deer and whitetail. So I'm uh, I'm gonna be looking at. There's some big mule deer in that in those canyons that I'm gonna be trying to target in on. So that's kind of the the hunts for me this year. Um, no 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 premium tags, no nothing like that here out west. The draw system kind of took a curveball with Colorado this year, but um anyway i've got i've got tags in hand and i got a bear tag so bears always kind of questionable here in colorado you can't bait you can't do anything anything like that so oh that's new york and hunting bear is like you guys you got to be hunting deer and yeah. stumble upon a bear that's that's kind of what it comes down to with us you know i've i've not shot a bear um here in colorado just because of that same thing it's like i've seen bear well the, the, the other issue is they don't open up the bear season until a week after the general archery season starts i've seen i've seen so many bear in the first week of season i would not i shouldn't say so many i've probably seen eight or ten bear throughout my last 10 12 years in the first week when you can't hunt them <laughs> yeah and then after that you don't i don't haven't seen them anymore. they know so, they yeah know. but no man that's it what about you uh, it's going to be, you know, I'm actually, there's a guy I met at the Kafaru Rendezvous, um, uh, East Coast Kafaru Rendezvous I'm trying to get in touch with. Maybe he might take me out to do some Adirondack backcountry hunting. 
other than that, it's just going to be the usual. Probably go up to come hunting camp a little bit. I might try to do something with some of the guys from the New York State BHA up there. You know, actually get like a hunting camp together. Do cool. some. Dri- I don't know if we'll do drives. You know, with rifles or you know, I'm I'm hoping. I, other than instead of drives, I'd rather try to do some snow tracking. Yeah, there's one of the guys, Todd. He's the uh, head of the BHA here in New York State. He's pretty into snow tracking. I know some other guys are so. Maybe that, and then uh, just out back on the 100 acres we got, got some stands. I have some other dads who don't have a lot of time, so we've kind of formed this little coalition of like, listen, we don't have a lot of time. I've got this land. It's soybean this year. I can guarantee we could get does nice. <laughs> with our bows. Everything else I can't guarantee, but I'm just trying to you know help some people out you know, and just kind of build this. I want to build this local community of bow hunters up, so it's nice. It's You know, they've got – they also have two-year-olds and just, you know, it goes, man, you've had the two. It's time yeah. goes. Yeah. No, that's it, man. My, my Dominic, he's going to start wrestling here pretty soon. So excited about that. He's been working out with my, my cousin and my uncle. So time's even going to be tougher to come by once I got to start getting him to practices and, and meets and stuff. So, but you know what though? It's, it's fun watching so far, man. And, and I'm excited. You know, they, they, I, I wrestled when I was younger, and it, it is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It can be boring sitting around watching everyone yeah. else's kids, but that's sports. Yeah. No, that's it, man. So, But that's that's good. I mean, I got a little care package heading your way, so. Really? Yeah. What kind I was of fine well, products? <laughs> because I don't know if you can see that very well. I Adidas did. I came in yesterday. I've been looking at it since we started the show. That's a sweet hat you have on. Nice alpha so, bow hunting hat. So I'm going to send you one of these and some veins and some wraps um, and uh, and get you some alpha alpha swag out there. So I just like I said, these and the green, we, we've got an olive green one that's supposed to have came in with this one, but they, they didn't. So they just, just got here yesterday. So maybe maybe those other ones will come in today. But Good, because uh, there's just something I actually got to order from you. So. <laughs> okay yeah no let me know i'm gonna get a package out monday so good i think um we're gonna switch to uh black gold three pin head yeah i need cool. a three pin head i've got the single pin which is great but for hunting here not not and I actually you know where i learned that the single pin was no bueno was the alpha last year yeah <laughs> no no not for me i'll do yeah. the, the one big and the two small under that i'll run that on the adjustable because yeah. i've already got you know the whole bracket and everything so cool run that all man yeah so i know there's some phenomenal companies we should talk about them a little bit the one being maven because you were just featured as basically the greatest maven bow hunter <laughs> of all time i, I don't know about that, but, but they Phil definitely Mendoza. There was an honorable mention to the Natural Born Hunter podcast, which (laughs) was great. I I didn't actually see what it was linked to, but it was linked to something. I hope it was the site or something. But, uh, yeah, they they did a nice little article on you. And Brendan and the guys at Maven are just – Aaron and I have talked about this, and I've heard other people talk about them, Avery's. And they're a great company, man. They are a great company and a great group of guys. And, you know, if you like free stuff, you can still use the NBH gift coupon code to get yourself yeah. some free Maven free swag. swag with your yeah. order. <laughs> they, they, uh, they've been fun to work with, man. I mean, those guys have come down, did some training with our guys, you know, set us up as a demo center and, 
and interacting with them just even at different trade shows. I mean, I went last year, I went to, to Western Expo and helped them just work the booth for a little bit off and on. And, and, and it, it's just been fun, man. I mean, they're, they're your ideal, you know, if you, if you show value and, and, and contribute and, and do work, they're easy and, and, and they appreciate. They you, do. You know, and that's, that's, I'm not saying it's hard to find, but it's really nice when you find it. Well, but it, they, they're genuine. They do what they say. And, and I, I love the product and it's just, that's the thing, man, is, is if you can filter through all the bullshit that you deal with when it comes to that relationship of whether it's pro staff or sponsor, whatever the case is, even just any kind of affiliation, it's the bull crap that makes it tough that, that you have to deal with. It is. You know, this person said this and they expect that, but then you go do that and then they're not happy. Right. It's like, well, why don't you just tell me what you need or what you're looking for and we can make a decision if we're going to be, if we're going to work together. These guys, have, I've never had that with Maven. No, with they, Maven, they are like set it and forget it. Yeah. They don't it, forget you, but you know what I mean? It's just like the words have been said, you, it gets done. Well, and, they and say even, it, they do it. It's done. You do it. You say it, you get, you know, things work. No, and, and like the so we gave away a couple sets of Maven for the, the alpha winner and the women and men this year. And I'm thinking they're going to, you know, we're going to get a set of, not that there's anything wrong with the stock optics, but hey, give me a set of stock B1s for each, whatever. No, I called Brendan up and he gave me a pro, he gave a promo code to each winner. And I, Caitlin, she got a fully set up B2s, fully customized. You know, and it's like, yeah, you got a thirteen hundred pair of binoculars or or thirteen and change that he just gave away, and he was happy to do it. You know, that's phenomenal. Oh yeah, and and so those those guys are they're they're great to work with, great company. I'm I'm excited to see their growth too because I know as they start to to reach out into the rifle world on the they, they're side, expanding. Yeah, I, he was telling me a storefront and or a shop or something. He was telling me they got a, yeah, they just moved in a new location. Yeah. So no, it's great, man, and I'm I'm excited. I'm happy to be uh, affiliated with those guys um, to whatever extent. Other, I mean, I guess yeah, we've got a demo center, and they 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 uh, partner with us on the Alpha series, but they're just been great to work with. And also, I just saw you are also unplanned. We're both drinking. I'm guessing you're drinking coffee. No, I'm both drinking, drinking coffee, coffee. man. What? <laughs> yeah, drinking oh, coffee out of our Yeti Ramblers. Yeti was the sponsor for you this year, correct? They came yeah. on board. Yeah, Yeti came on last year, and and again this year, and they've also been great to work with. They've uh, they've got some great products, man. There, there's there's a lot of cooler companies with a lot of really good products. You know, I've seen a lot of independent reviews, and this company, that company. So I think that. Yeah, but Yeti's just been a long-standing supporter of, of a lot of things in the outdoors, and regardless what what was said or done earlier this year with the NRA, I think that was just a little bit more of a misunderstanding. They got blown up than anything else, in my opinion, from from my understanding on things, um, because if they don't support hunting, if they don't support the outdoors, why would they be working with little companies like me? You know. They're, they are. They're working with a lot of them. I mean, they work with Total Archery Challenge. And that's the thing. It's like, I, I love their videos. Yeah. I'll sit at home with YouTube and the boys, and I'll watch 
Jeez, I've seen, I, I, have you seen the one they do? It's on barbecue, Tootsie, I think it is. Uh-uh, I haven't seen it, no. Dude, you got to check this lady out. You think you work a lot? Wait till you see this 89 or 90-something-year-old barbecue pit master who also cuts yeah. the grass at the high school and or local community college. She's a badass, man. And then I saw her on, like, Vice after this. Like, she was being picked up and... Nice. It's just it's the the videos they do are incredible and promote yeah. the outdoors in an incredible way. And my favorite thing actually from them is their little low ball glass. I use like a cocktail glass. Oh, hey, why you why do you settle for? I use this for a cocktail glass too. Buddy. <laughs> you gotta time. make it a double. <laughs> You're having a better time than me. You I put actually, some, <laughs> you put some we ice were, and some whiskey in here. We were camping. We went up camping to a friend's camp last weekend, and I was like, Melanie, should I, I'm going to get him some Yetis to be like a thank you yeah. for helping us. And she's like, no, don't bother. I go, why? She goes, because I got a bunch of them. And they don't use them. And so I said, Pete, how come you don't use your Yeti? He goes, it's too hot. I can't drink my coffee in the afternoon if I put it in there. <laughs> it's like, you're right. Yeah. If you put your coffee in in the morning, you come back 2 o'clock, I come back at 4 o'clock, it's still warm. You want to talk about what's, you know, the, the whole mug? I've got mugs and mug, coffee mugs. I don't I don't touch them anymore. No. Because i got to keep throwing the coffee in the microwave, you know, and in this, like you said, sh- this has spoiled me. I'm, it, I'm a it, coffee it, snob now. I, I thought about just when Melody's gone, just throwing out our glassware, and then yeah. she had her small Yeti cup, her big one, and then she's got the real big one. I don't uh-huh. need to mess with that. But it's like, this is all we need. We're minimalist now. We right? ch- I have two cups. You have three. This you're, is all we're having. You're, you're elitist minimalist, man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you're going to buy once, cry once. Do you, you need 10 coffee mugs or you just need one Yeti? No. I yeah, have sponsored no. no Way by Yeti, and I pay full price for my products. But I'll tell you what. I, I, I love it. No, they're great. They've been a great company to deal with. And, and I'm, I'm ha- I mean – this time of year is always that time where as we kind of mold what we're doing next year and we present it to them, we just hope that they see continue to see value and want to work with us. So that's kind of where we're at, man. We try to get some hunts in and then get back to work with with uh, next year's package or offering, if you will. And I'm excited. I think we definitely made some some big steps this year. And so hopefully everybody continues to to still work with us. so Well, I'm hoping to, to make it next year because there's a direct flight out of Albany. I think they do one out of Syracuse, too, now to Denver, which was nice. phenomenal. And then uh, I got that 90-mile canoe race coming up. Pretty stoked about that. Oh, uh, nice. I tell you, you should make it out here about it. Make it out here sometime to do it. But honestly, it's like the second week of September, and I Is don't it? think anyone's coming from Colorado to New York no. State in the second week of September. Yeah. <laughs> <Anytime> September. <laughs> I joke around with my wife because she'll tell me something like this in September. I said, "Do people not realize what time of year it is? And she looks at me. She says, really? Not everybody floats around your your world, so no. <laughs> you know, you, that's, I feel like that's the world I, I have now. This is my yeah. world. Everyone's on this calendar. And then when I talk to someone who's not, like, blocking out hunting season, I'm like, who are you? Right. How do you live? What do you do? Yeah. What do you do? <laughs> do you do anything? It's, it's un-American, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, Phil, it has been uh, a real, real pleasure to have you back on, my man. I'd love to have you on more often, of course, but see what happens after hunting season because there's not going to be any time during that. No, Uh, the the, the winter months are actually a a touch better. I mean, 
th- that's when I actually kind of get to grind and, and do a lot of the, I mean, the, the next book I have written should be coming up. I should have it. I had it almost done to launch in April and I've since kind of added and modified since our workshop. So maybe that's a good thing. Once I get it done here in the next month or so month and a half, we can sit down and I can, I can tell you a little bit more about that one. Really? What can you, you, what can you, or you can tell me about it that you tell me a little bit about it. No, it, it's, it basically mirrors a lot of the, the information we're doing in our workshops. So that's why I've, as we've done some of the workshops, I've kind of had to go back and change and add and, you know, do some other things just to make it more, just to make sure it aligns properly and it's another good reference for that stuff. Um, so now I am excited about that one. That one's because the first one was a little bit story, kind of more story based and, and some ex- previous experiences. This one's, I would say much more, I would like it to be considered as one of those things that people look at as like a handbook for bow hunters. It's like, you need this, you know, this is, this is what I want that to be as moving forward. It's, it's going to be, it, it, it's going to be an important piece of, of learning information and direction for bow hunters. I think, um, just from an understanding standpoint with, like I said, kind of creating that playbook and that flow chart. That's all. I look forward to it. I'm going to check some of your stuff out. I'd love to make it out there for the clinic too. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been fun. We're, we're hoping to be able to travel to do some of those with some of the tournaments that we do next year. So we'll see. That's, that's kind of the other thing is. That would be nice. Yeah, if we can get there a day early, do a workshop, and then run the event, that's kind of the, that that would be ideal. I don't know if that's going to be practical, but um, we'll see. Well, so there's one thing I know about Phil Mendoza. It's aim as high as possible and work as hard as you can to deliver. <laughs> hey, man, you got to keep banging your head against the wall. So. <laughs> that's right. You need stress. <laughs> right? Hey, you can't see in the camera, but I've got plenty of stress. You highlight it on the, on the side of my head. Just a little bit of salt and pepper coming in. It's coming, man. I'm going to be full salt and pepper here in the next couple, two or three years probably. So That's all right. Just for men. You'd be a just for men model. <laughs> no, nah, man. My wife thinks it's sexy, so I'm just going to roll with it. That's Anything that helps need. in that category, I'm, hey, I'm in. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Phil, All right, well, you have a fantastic day. And for the former Natural Born Hunter podcast, wake up, chase your dreams, repeat.